Please be seated. Infinite height, infinite might, infinite grace, infinite love. I invite you to turn in your copies of God's holy and inspired word. Back to Paul's letter to the Ephesians. We continue uh, to work through the text and we have come to one of the most exciting, most cherished and loved passages in the letter. Talk about wives submitting to husbands. Thank you. Someone had to chuckle at that. My goodness. Now, I'm going to preach this, and, and I'm sure right now you're already hearing me say in, in, in a way that we haven't heard it. And, and that is exactly the attempt here, because so often um, a lot of the imperatives in Scripture are often disconnected from the work of God's grace in Christ. There is hardly a, a set of commands that I can think of that, that, that don't do it as much as when we talk about the roles of husbands and wives in marriage, that, of how often there are these principles, there are these, these uh, you know, seven ways to do this and six ways to do that about how to be a good husband or how to be a good wife, and they, they principalize something that is redemptive historical and something that can only be carried out in grace because the very nature of what it is, is a presentation of grace. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to read from a couple of other places earlier on in Ephesians um, before I eventually get to verse 21. So just listen to the word of God this morning. God wants us to know the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. And above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body. The church, which is the fullness of the one who fills all in all. He who descended is the one who gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. 
Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Going down to verse 518, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. The husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Paul, has certainly indeed revealed a great mystery to us through his words. That in your eternal purposes, you would send your son who would take to himself a bride. Not a beautiful bride. Not a faithful bride. Not a lovely bride, but a bride that would be tarnished, that would be unfaithful, often ungrateful and selfish. And yet for the delight that was set before him, the bridegroom bound out of heaven to come and to recover his bride and to restore her to make her beautiful and to give her a privileged status of reflecting his beauty and his truth and his goodness forevermore. 
not because it comes from within her, but because it reflects off of her as he shines on his bride. And so, Lord, let us bask in the light that shines on us today through your word, that we as your church would learn to reflect that in every aspect of our lives, every aspect of the ministry of this church, and in every aspect of Christian homes as we long to see your glory fill the earth. Let us start with our own homes. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Headship and humility. Not often two words that go together. And yet, you cannot look at the life and purposes of Jesus Christ without understanding those two words together. Everything that Paul has been saying in this, le- in this letter has been to reveal to the church this, this, this new status and this new existence that we have as participants in the, in, in the resurrected life of Jesus Christ. Jesus, who is God, set his glory aside for a time and came to earth in humility. Taking on flesh was itself a humbling of himself. Taking on flesh and, and being born in a stable, one who was born as a descendant of David, one who was born to be king over God's people, one who was born, however, in a stable, one who was not born into the power and prestige that we like to connect with royalty. And yet this was not even just your normal, typical royalty. This was heavenly royalty that had come to earth. And he came very purposefully in a humbled state, lived very humbly, serving, counting others better than himself, giving himself to people, giving of himself for people. And in the humility of this royal head in whom all authority on heaven and earth resided did not use it in order to just serve himself. He used it to serve others. When we start looking at what headship means in the home, the Apostle Paul sets us up from the beginning of this letter to understand headship as it resides in Jesus Christ. And that headship was a headship that was used to serve his father and to serve his bride. 
It was not a headship in which he utilized that power and authority in order to make a a great name for himself there in the moments in which he lived. How many times, even as he would perform a miracle, did he then, then, did he then tell the person, now, don't tell anybody about this. There's a time coming when Jesus will be revealed in the fullness of who he is as the eternal son of God who has taken on flesh and has become the the fullness of the royal presence of the eternal authority of God on earth. That time is coming. But until that time comes, the apostle Paul, Paul is telling us that there is a headship that exists within the church and with the home, and that headship is to be carried out very specifically and purposefully according to one's union with the Christ who completed his headship in humility and in meekness. Not self-serving. Not propping himself up. Not making demands. but loving and serving and counting others more important than himself. Do you pick up or do you remember when we were, remember a long time ago when we were in chapter one? As we discussed that amazing truth that that what Jesus has done and the accomplishment of the extravagance of his grace that even though he's been set over all things as head and authority he has chosen to take his church to himself and to give her a special place alongside of him where Jesus who is God, who is eternal, who is self-sufficient, considers himself incomplete without his bride. Jesus, the one who fills the all and all, counts himself filled as he has taken his bride to himself. This bride was not pretty, was she? Jesus didn't descend and and look for a group of people who reflected him already. But through his father's purposes, his love had been set on his bride, not because of the bride's worthiness, but because of the intentions and purposes of his love. Jesus exercised his headship in humility. Sometimes what we often forget, by the way, is that when we think about the doctrine of the Trinity, there are two different ways that Reformed theology discusses this extremely difficult subject. 
And that is one from the perspective of what we call the ontological trinity, which is one of those fancy 25-cent words that just means being. So looking at the trinity in terms of their shared being. That they, are, that they are one, that they are the same, that, that they are equal in power and glory, and that they, there, is, there is no hierarchy within the existence of the Trinity where, where anyone is dependent on the other. They, 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 in their person, they are co-eternal, co-extensive, they, that they dwell in, in this perfect exactitude of the, of who they are in their essence as one god in three persons that's ontology but when we look at the way this triune god has accomplished his purposes we 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 talk about the economic trinity it is a way of understanding that the father has sent the son and that the son, when he came to the earth, he voluntarily took the purposes of the father and, and made them his, and that he voluntarily humbled himself. He voluntarily set himself up as the one who would take on flesh and have to suffer and who would eventually die. That, but he did this voluntarily, placing himself under the direction of his father to carry out the plan of redemption. So that even Jesus, who was equal with his father in terms of his being, chose to voluntarily serve his father in the accomplishment of redemption. And that the spirit now takes that work of the father and the son, and the spirit is, is taking that work and applying that work to us as redemption has not only been accomplished, but is being applied. Do you recognize that what this means is that Jesus, in the carrying out of his mission, as one who was equal with the Father in terms of essence, voluntarily submitted himself to the Father to accomplish the purpose. And that Jesus, who was God and worthy of all praise and worship, set his glory aside for a time in order to serve you and me. Look back at verse 21 of Ephesians chapter 5. As the Apostle Paul sets us up for understanding how do we live out our union with Christ as imitators of God in terms of his, his self-sacrificial love? And how do we walk in that spirit? He says it comes by submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. What the Apostle Paul has been doing throughout the entire letter is setting God before us in terms of who he is and what he has done and who we now are in Jesus Christ and how we are to live. And at the, at the, the, the center of this is because of this union we have with God uh, through Christ, we are a people of love. 
We are a people who are called to love as we have been loved. We are to walk in the love of Christ so that the love of Christ might be in us and work through us into those who are around us. And that the totality of what it means for you to be in Christ, Jesus tells us, is that you are to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and you are to love your neighbor as yourself. And that love is going to work itself out in different ways within the body of Christ, depending on the different role that you are playing. But make no mistake, it is the same love. Has Jesus appointed certain offices in the church who represent his rule and his mercy to the church? Absolutely. But how is that headship to be carried out? In love. It is to be carried out in humility. It is to be carried out in meekness. It is to be carried out as one who is serving someone else's bride. It is not meant to be, to be, uh, to, to be a heavy-handed, tell, I'm going to tell you what you're supposed to do. Throughout the scripture, by the way, this image of God and his people pictured as a marriage, it's not new to the Apostle Paul. He didn't decide, you know what? Here's something that, 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 that they might be able to connect with. No, throughout the scripture, God has pictured his relationship to his people as a marriage. The book of Hosea is, is a powerful book uh, in which uh, God sets this image before his covenant people in order to help them understand just how steadfast his love for his bride is. And that is because his covenant people as his bride were whoring themselves around the Middle East. They were chasing after any and every other God that was there. Now, they weren't abandoning Yahweh. Oh, no, they still went to the temple. They still offered the sacrifices. They still did all of the things that they were supposed to do. But they also liked to serve the other God. They liked to take the gods of the cultures around them and serve them also. And so the book of Hosea, it, it pictures the covenant people of God as this unfaithful wife. And God, through Hosea, continues to set his faithfulness even to his unfaithful bride in front of the covenant people to say, I have set my love on you. And I'm going to achieve my purposes for you, even though you keep engaging in all of this adultery.
Beloved, you and I, we are no better than the old covenant saints. We are no better than those who lived back then, who decided to offer incense to the Asherah poles, or who liked to eat uh, cakes with raisins. Now, this does not mean if you get the raisin toast at Waffle House. You can still pick that. But they purposely were engaging in worship practices with false gods, even as they continued to worship Yahweh. And you and I do this every day. Where we allow the values of of our, our current cultural context to form and shape us and squeeze us into its image. We allow the, the, the values of the culture and we allow the mores of the culture to determine quite often how we live even as we are still trying to follow God. And one of the ways that you can very clearly see that in history is in the role of men and women in marriage throughout the last several hundreds of years of Western society. There was something very special about the Christian faith that for the time being in which Paul was writing was so revolutionary. Notice that there is this purposeful use throughout the scripture, but even here in, 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 in Ephesians, about the role that men and women who together have a shared life through union in Jesus Christ are both co-heirs together in the kingdom in the eternal inheritance of the saints in light. And that being co-heirs, of the same inheritance of Jesus Christ, whether you are a man or whether you are a woman, is described as sonship in the New Testament because that was a word that they would understand that women outside of Christ had no hope of. Because the Greco-Roman culture in which the church in Ephesians was functioning was a culture that was dominated by the, the oldest man in the family. It was also a very interesting setting, at least uh, in certain portions of the the Greco-Roman world, that quite often in the structure of the home, the wife was actually not seen to be under her husband. She was seen to still be under her father, even though she had become married. Now, there were some weird reasons for all of that, and if you want to be bored to death, and get set up for a good nap, you can read about it. But there was something revolutionary that was going on with Jesus Christ and and his eternal kingdom and his extravagant grace of what it meant to become a partaker in the eternal inheritance in Christ, where men and women, irrespective of their genders, had the exact same inheritance.
Paul is making it very clear here that before we start working out the details of what headship looks like in the home, how husbands and wives interact with one another in Christ in the home, he's making it very clear to us to understand how Jesus has interacted with his church throughout all the generations going all the way back to Adam and Eve in the garden. And that God, because he has set his heart on his people, has patiently, been working with his people to overcome every obstacle of the sin that we put up into his face by overcoming all of it for us in his son. The son who voluntarily put himself under his father with whom he was actually co-equal and co-extensive. Jesus, who considered you and me better than himself, and so he served us and he died for us. Now, if this is how Jesus works out his headship, and if this is the the paradigm that's given for how the officers in the church are to work out their authority in the church, notice also that Paul says very clearly This is how a husband works out his headship and his authority in the home. And so, men, before you get excited over reading this paragraph, make sure you understand what it's saying. Make sure you understand what it's calling you to be and to do in the the functioning of your home as as the head in that home. But beloved, make it before we're not going to try to cover the rest this week. I want you to take this week and I want you to let this reality simmer within your hearts. Verse 21 tells us very clearly whether you are an officer in the church, whether you are a, 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 a child in the church, whether you're a teenager in the church, whether you are a, a seasoned citizen of the church, whether you are a man, whether you are a woman, a boy, or a girl. Make no mistake that every single one of us in the carrying out of every single one of our relationships and responsibilities in the church of God and in your covenant homes. It is all to be worked out as those who were united to the Christ, who used his headship in humility in order to be the benefit of others who didn't deserve it. In our fellowship in this community of faith, beloved, make no mistake. You are to count me more important than yourselves. And I am to count you more important than myself. Look to your left. I know we're Presbyterians and we like to act like we're we're the only ones in the room. But look to your left and look to your right. Because these are specific people 
that you are to count as more important than yourself. As you are an imitator of God as one of his children who has both benefited and is now embodying the sacrificial love of Jesus Christ who is your head, who fulfilled that in his humility that you and I might continue to bear witness to our humble head as we love one another and voluntarily count each other more important than ourselves. And then especially in the way that we do that as husband and wife and children to parents and employers to employees. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do not like humility unless it is someone else's humility that we are benefiting from. And yet, your scripture is so very clear that you are a patient God, that you are a God who does not always and quite rarely just thrusts all of your power onto us in order to punish us even when we deserve it, but instead... You did thrust all of your power and punishment onto your Son for us so that we might live in your love. And so, Lord, fill our hearts with the humility of Christ and fill our minds with the meekness of Christ and convince us, Lord, that the taking up our cross and following Christ is the path towards living in and enjoying your love so that we might steer clear of the false ideas and values and mores and practices of the culture around us so that we might be formed more and more by the realities of the heavenly places through which you have caused us as those made alive, raised up, and seated with Christ in the heavenlies, to have partaken of the same power that you used to raise Jesus from the dead. Oh, forgive us for our paltry attempts of obedience and how quick we are to make excuses. How quick we are to, to say that there are, that there is something bigger than us that is standing in our way. How quick we are to shrink ourselves and our own responsibilities because we really don't want to have to humble ourselves and voluntarily place ourselves under anyone else because we love to extend our kingdoms in this world. And so, Lord, fill us once again with this, with this truth of who Christ is. The Christ who didn't just come in history, but the Christ who has taken up residence in our hearts. And who by his spirit is forming us and shaping us and renewing us. As, the, as our bridegroom who has, who has given us a beautiful wedding dress of the pure whiteness of his eternal righteousness, granted freely as a gift and received by faith. Lord, help us to to see the, the beauty of the dress that we wear, that we might live more and more 
up to the realities of what that dress presents to us. And so, Lord, convince us that it is the meek who inherit the earth and that it is the meek who utilize their power for the benefits of others and especially for the benefits of our King. Lord, free us from the false gods of American culture that teach us that thriving comes through power, through politics, through influence, through prestige, from being seen as someone who is special, someone who is strong, and instead help us to take up the mantle of our Savior who accomplished all things through the taking up of his cross. Foolishness and a scandal to unbelievers, and yet your means of glorifying yourself in saving a bride for your namesake. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.